Um, if you've got your Bible, grab your Bible out and uh, grab your notebook. We're, we're into a session. This is the second sermon that I've been preaching uh, in this whole theme of the revolutionaries. And, uh, and we're asking the question, can one person really change the world? And what we mainly need is one person to change the orientation of that projector. But uh, we'll start with the projector and then we'll move on to the rest of the world. How many people find that? How many people, just to, by way of a survey, how many people find it physically painful that that's not straight? Yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, other people are like, wow, that's really, wow, wacky and awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, anyhow, anyhow, can one person really change the world? And we're not actually going to answer that question because we, well, we can't really answer that question, can we? In, in five weeks, is not really a long enough time to answer that question, but it's enough time to ask it. And it's enough time to get us thinking about, uh, can we, could we begin a journey with God? Could we begin a process in God personally where God begins to work in us, inside us, in such a way that we can have an influence and make an impact on the world around us? Can one person really change the world? And we're excited to be on uh, up at campus this uh, Sunday. Tonight, it's going to be awesome. And uh, like Alistair said, I just agree. Let's if, if you can, if you've got something else on, could you cancel it? Could you postpone it? Uh, we'd love for everyone to be there. If you're just this praying and supporting uh, would be awesome. We really believe that, you know, God, there will be at least, I'm sure of this, there will be at least one person who comes in. They, they, they handed out uh, maybe 5,000 flyers. I'm, I'm really believing that at least one. You know, at least one person needs to know Jesus. They're going to get that flyer, and they're going to be brave enough to come along and, uh, and really meet with their destiny. Do you know, I just want to share this. I had this thought this morning, and I, I, I think it will help someone. Um, one of the things we're not doing as Christians following Jesus or, or as the church is we're not striving for success. Now, we, just, we, we're not here to be successful. We're here to worship God. Now, here's the trick. In our culture, success is God. So sometimes when you say, hey, let's do our best for God, we confuse it because we grew up in the environment where success is God. And so we translate that into the church. And then we think the church needs to be, quote, unquote, successful. But it doesn't. We're just here to worship God. And we're here to serve people. And success is not what we're after. So maybe you just need to let yourself off the hook. You're not here to be successful. You're here to work. You weren't born to be successful. You're born to worship God. Amen. Very, very good. Anyway, we're now kids, uh, Madeline and uh, Elliot, they're, 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 they love swimming. So we do swimming lessons every week. And uh, when they were learning to dive, they learned to dive at the swimming pool with a swimming teacher teaching them how to dive into the pool. When I learned to dive, I looked at my cousins diving and then I copied them. So it took me around about one whole summer to master diving into the pool. How many people know that when you're learning the way I learned, you're, you're, a part of the journey is belly flops? That's a part of the journey. Well, it took me a whole summer to master a dive, and by a dive, I don't mean an attempted dive, an actual dive. Uh, you know, if, if, if it's not a dive if your stomach is red afterwards uh, or if it's burst open. And anyway, yeah. Uh, but if it's not a dive, if it's a belly flop, it's called a belly flop. But when Madeline and uh, Elliot were learning to dive, and now Austin, they, they had a teacher who just said, hold your hands above your head so that your, your biceps are against your ears, and you make your chin touch your chest. And then within 10 minutes, they had mastered a dive. 
So within 10 minutes, they learned what it took me one whole summer to do, simply because the teacher told them where to put their head. Now, the reality is in all sorts of complex physical maneuvers, where you put your head determines whether it's a belly flop or a dive. How many people know that that becomes more and more important the further up the diving platforms you go? Right? Same with a, with a, with a, a gymnast on a floor routine. What they think about is the positioning of their head because you can't, when you're doing something at high speed, uh, you can't think about where is your head and where is your right arm, where is your left arm, where is your left foot. If you're walking, for instance, which is for some of us, that's the pinnacle of our physical achievements, right? But walking is a complex physical thing. It's a complex thing. But when you're walking, if you had to think about uh, left foot, right arm, right foot, left arm, Right. If you have to think about it, A, it's going to be slow, B, it's going to look weird, uh, C, you're still likely to fall over. But what happens is your, what goes on in your brain now actually automates some of those processes. You walk automatically. Part of your brain does walking for you. You don't really have to do it in the conscious part of your brain. Now, the reality is in our life, so much of our life becomes automated walking uh, uh, yeah, driving to work. How many people have ever done that one? Oh, here I am. You know, there's a, there's a pedestrian in the grill of the car. Gosh, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, because we've, we've automated it. Our brain has taken the whole process and has put it into the automatic part of the brain. Now, I believe that the automatic part of the brain has some different name that other people use, but from now on, it'll be known as the automatic part of the brain, right? And the conscious part of your brain, and I'm going like that because one's near the back and down, no, one's near the front and up high. The conscious part of your brain where you think and make decisions, I'm right, aren't I? The automatic part of your brain and the other part of your brain, there's pretty good. Emma's nodding. Emma's nodding and laughing. <laughs> she, and she's thinking, what is it? Anyhow, anyhow, um, I have dug a hole for a post, uh, but I've not got a PhD. Anyway, the reality, the reality is, it's an important question to ask yourselves, how much of our whole life have we automated and stopped thinking about, right? Now, uh, in Proverbs chapter 23, 6, we're going to put it up on the screen because there's no way, I doubt it, I'm looking around, I doubt anyone's got this translation. This is, no, that's the wrong one. That's the new King James. We're going old, old. Maybe our computer doesn't even have King, doesn't have King James? Okay, I'm going to read it to you. Anyway, this is why you've got to have a King James because it's translated quite differently. Eat thou not. The bread of him that hath an evil eye. Now, isn't that way better? <laughs> Don't you reckon that's awesome? I'll read that again just because there's people here who like that. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. <laughs> this is a better example of why we do have multiple translations of the Bible. Then it says this, For as he thinketh, in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says, or sorry, saith he to thee. <laughs> Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Now, if you look at the modern translations, what it doesn't have is, and it doesn't have that little phrase, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, this is a story about you going to someone's house for a meal, uh, and that person happens to be a person 
that hath an evil eye or is a miser, uh, or the other translation says a stingy person. It says don't eat with a stingy person because even though they say, eat and drink, hey, welcome, their heart is not with you. And the reality, what the Proverbs is, what the ancient wisdom is, is that whatever's actually happening in your heart, as you think in your heart, that's what you're really like. doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. What's going on inside of you is what you're really like. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And I guess we can all relate to that ancient picture, don't we? We've all had those moments where we've had to pretend. Haven't we? We've all had those moments we've had to pretend. We've all had those moments where we know that someone else is pretending. Or we have a suspicion that perhaps somebody else uh, is pretending. When, when we were young, um, the family I grew up in, we had a mum and a dad, which is really handy. Uh, and there was four of us children, and, and I am not the loudest uh, in, in my family, I'm not the loudest, uh, and, and uh, on any given day, uh, anyone is the loudest. We all operate at a relatively high volume, uh, and when there was all four of us, no six of us, uh, apart from my dad, everyone was loud, right? Uh, my dad never said anything until, uh, until we all left home, and now he, he hasn't stopped sulking since then. Uh, he'd been saving it all up. But what would happen is we'd be in the car on the way to so-and-so's house, the, the such-and-suches, who you always like, the, you know. And if it were, particularly if it was new people or if it was non-relatives. If it was relatives, then it was the normal rules applied, right? But when you're going to someone else's house, mum would say this phrase, and maybe she, your mum used the same phrase with you. You, we had, you had to be on your best behavior, right? So you had your whole normal life, which included a whole lot of table manners, a whole lot of ways of talking. It included wearing your shoes indoors. It included burping. It included loud jokes and toilet humor. It included all sorts of stuff like that. It included punching people. It included, you know, whatever it was that was live. And then when you go somewhere else, you had, somewhere else, someone new's house, you had to put on this whole new way of living called your best behavior. And how many know that when mum says your best behavior and then she looks at you right there's that there's a look yeah, yeah, yeah and 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 she doesn't say this but what the look says is that if there was anything less than best behavior she was going to put on her best smacking arm right she was going to get out her best jandal, uh, right? And there'd be a lot of bestness going on, right? There'd be six of the best. Uh, there'd be something that she'd put on her best if we didn't put on our best, right? Now, the reality is that whole dynamic plays out in our life all the time. Where we have our actual life, but then in every public setting, including church, including when we're relating to God, as if God doesn't really know, we put on our best behavior. You know, I heard a pastor recently preaching and saying, don't put your best behavior on to come to church. Please just come as you are to church, right? And put your best behavior on when you're out in the streets and at the workplace. Because there's a better witness for God if you behave yourself Monday through Saturday, and then on Sunday, you can just let it go. He said, man, if you want to smoke at church, smoke at church. If you want to swear at church, swear at church. Just be yourself at church. But when you're out there and people know you're a Christian, don't be yourself. And then I guess he would have looked at them after that. <laughs> but the point of the problem is simple, that the host who's pretending to be generous isn't generous if they're pretending. 
No amount of pretending to be generous adds up to generous. And in fact, actual generosity very much looks completely different to pretend generosity. Often real generosity doesn't even look or sound like pretend generosity. It certainly doesn't smell the same, right? Wherever your head is, that's where everything else follows. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The things that are going on inside of you, remember, some of them are automated. Those things going on inside of you, perhaps in the automatic part of your brain, that's what you're really going to be like. That's how your life is going to play out. It's not going to be what you can do to pretend. It's not going to be what you can do to imagine. How many of us, one of my friends was a surf lifesaver. He was in the Paikakariki Surf Lifesaving Club. He's actually my brother-in-law now. And one of the things they used to do is they do these processions at the start, you know, the start of the Surf Lifesaving Festival. You don't know, so I'll tell you. Uh, and uh, there'd be the different club visiting and they'd do these old school processions. They'd wear the funny hat. Yeah, they wear the funny hat, and then, and then they have a similar thing as togs. It's weird, like a little hat, and then it's almost the same thing on togs. Uh, and then, um, and then and they would walk about, and they would march about. They'd have to march about. Because, you, know, you know, in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, everything in New Zealand was military. Everything was done in a military fashion, right? You went to school, it was like being in the military, cubs in the military, and the guys in the, and the surf lifesaving was military as well. And one of, the, one of the technologies they had in the olden days for surf lifesaving was a big round drum with a rope on it. And someone, you know, if someone's drowning out there instead of an outboard motor and racing out, they would tie a rope around your waist and you'd swim out there and then the other surf lifesavers would pull you in, right? And so they'd bring the rope out, they'd start the festival, they'd bring the rope out and then four people would be selected to, to sort of, to bring the rope out and they'd bring the rope out and then they would put it down uh, and then they would have to stand up and then they would have to march off. And my, my uh, brother-in-law says it was, it was always hilarious because you had to walk in a certain way, you know, you had to march. And, and you'd have to, hey, I did it on purpose. Uh, you had to march, right? And the, and the club captain had told you, no, you've got to walk off properly, you've got to march. And people shout at you and right over. And so he can remember bringing the rope out, putting it down, turning around, and then you have to think, I have to march properly. And it's like, and then he marched off like this. <laughs> marched to everyone's amusement. But how much of our Christianity is like that? What's the, what would Jesus do? Jesus wouldn't do that, right? And if he did do it, it wouldn't look so weird. <laughs> you know, we gotta, oh, we've got to love our neighbor as ourselves, you know? And we're trying so hard to think about it, but our conscious mind is just not, our, our, our automatic brain's not Christian. You're not a Christian. You're, the, the, the automated part of your life is selfish, self-centered, focused on success, focused on personal power, focused on sexual pleasure. That's what your whole life's about. And then your conscious mind's trying to take over. <laughs> but we're going to end up being whatever's going on in the, in the background, whatever our thinking is in our heart, that's what we're going to end up being. That's what we're really like. Have a look at another scripture. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And you'll, you'll recognize this passage. It's a super famous old, old hymn. This is the oldest hymn in the Christian church. Uh, and it says this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you like that? The key word is mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Which mind? This mind. Look. Being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So he's in the form of God, and equality with God was not something unusual for him, but made himself of no reputation. 
taking the form of a servant, a bond servant, that's slave, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, a criminal's death, a painful death. Therefore God has highly exalted him, given the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, right? And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 5 says this, let this mind be in you. There's a type of thinking that the Apostle Paul is talking about. Uh, Verse 5 in the New Living Translation says, you must have the same attitude as Christ. So you've got the word mind. That same original Greek word is also translated as attitude. And there's one third word you could translate it to, and that's the word spirit. So we can do things with a certain mind. We can do things with a certain attitude. We can do things with a certain spirit. So how many people wouldn't know when it says, let this mind be in you? It's not talking about uh, uh, something you might think consciously. It's not talking about, well, this is my, I, I thought about crossing the road and I crossed the road. That's not what it is. It's about a whole way of living. It's a whole mind. You could almost add, just add the word set at the end. It's a mindset that allowed Jesus Christ to make himself of no reputation. It was an attitude. It was a spirit that he carried, right? Can you see we're, we're getting something here, right? Right? Oh, one day I was, um, we were staying with, at some friend's house uh, in Mapua, which is like a beautiful part of the, a beautiful part of the world uh, between Nelson and like uh, Motueka, right? And it's just, a, there's a big estuary there. And our friends had a house near the, the, the estuary, quite far inland. They had the house near the estuary and they had a little boat. I know uh, Pete Thompson's are now a boat owner. And uh, he's going to take us out cruising around the harbour. Uh, no doubt it would be pretty stupendous. Uh, and uh, my, but my friends had this little boat, you know, like a, it was like a two metre, two and a half metre runabout with a two horsepower engine, right? And so we spent, we spent happy days just cruising around the estuary. Uh, other people were doing fishing and stuff as a family. Uh, me and my brothers, we've never been very interested in fishing because you get dirty hands, uh, that sort of thing. How many people have noticed that about fishing? Yeah, whereas buying fish at the supermarket, you don't get dirty hands. Uh, and and uh, so we're cruising around in, the, in, the, in this boat, uh, and we're just having a good time and everything like that. But we managed to get at, at the wrong tide, so the whole estuary is emptying out. It's a pretty big estuary, not gigantic, but the, the estuary is emptying out, so the tide's going out, and it funnels out through a really narrow channel, right? And so we were in about, the, the current was going out, so the current was going out at about 10 knots. So the water's moving out at about 10 knots. Someone's laughing because that is quite fast. So 10 knots. The water is moving out. And uh, some people here know how fast a two-horsepower engine is going to go. It's around about five knots, right? So the, the water we were on was going that way at 10 knots. And the boat we were in was going that way at five knots, which means when you put the two together, a train is traveling at 80 miles an hour. If you put the two together, it means that we were driving along at five knots going backwards, right? Which the longer we did it, the worse the outcome was going to be. The harder we tried, the worse the outcome was going to be because we were in an attitude going that way and our behavior was going that way. 
Now that's what happens in our world all the time. We've got our focus on how we want to live. We've got our we've read our, our self-help books. We've got our new diet for Monday. It's all ready to go. We're going to get up early tomorrow. I'm just trying to get as many people as possible with a, with a specific and snide remark. Uh, you know, we're going to stop picking our nose. <laughs> but all of our behavior, the best we've got it, we're, a two horsepower engine would be a generous way to describe your level of self-control. But the tide that we live in is going in a different direction. The tide even of our own heart is going in a different direction. Imagine if the undercurrent of our life could turn around. That's what we really need, isn't it? We actually don't just need a bigger engine. We actually need the tide of our life to turn around. Imagine if the undercurrent of our life could be going in the direction of following Jesus. Imagine if the mind, mindset, attitude, the spirit within us was going 10 knots towards Jesus. And then we could add our five knots horsepower as well. Then we'd have a life that was actually something that we could celebrate, something we could be happy with, a life that would make a difference in the world. Perhaps then we would be living a life that could change the world. Elsewhere, Paul uses another awesome term to describe this change and uh, that he's expecting in other people. Right through the writings of Paul, he talks a lot about the spirit of God and our human nature or flesh. And it can look like a dualism or dichotomy, but it's not because he's talking about the replacing of one with the other over time. He's not, he's not, the spirit and the flesh that the Apostle Paul talks about is not yin-yang of these two things blended and, and coexisting. They don't coexist. They war against each other. And the Spirit of God in our spirit is trying to displace the flesh permanently, right? So it's an uncompleted process in our lives while we're here on earth, but it's not a harmony, harmony of evil and good. I hope that's helpful, right? All right. Um, so this is what it says in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2, just the first part of the verse. And if you read the whole of Romans chapter 12, he, he throws out this thing about uh, living a whole life of sacrifice. So living a sacramental, sacrificial, holy life. And then he's got this verse 2, and then he goes through the rest of Romans 12, really spells out the shape of this sort of life. And obviously we need to leave that for homework, otherwise we're going to be here till afternoon tea time. And I'm pretty sure we haven't catered for that. It says this in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. One of the best translations of that phrase is the J.B. Phillips version of the Bible. J.B. Phillips was a, a Scottish, uh, Duncan Dougal, a Scottish theologian. And he says, uh, instead of don't be conformed to this world, he says, don't let the world crush you into its mold. Another way of saying that is don't get sucked out of the Mapua estuary. Don't let the world crush you into its mold, but be transformed is now our key word. Transformed by the renewing. These two words are really interesting. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So when it says prove, it means live out. So, so then you can experience, you can live out the plan of God for your life. No, that's, that's both good and it's acceptable and then it's perfect plan of God. The New Living Translation, those two key, two key words are quite helpful as well. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Remember, we would never do that intentionally, would we? We're not like, I'm gonna, I might live my life like Miley Cyrus. 
We would never make, no one ever has thought that. Let's be fair, Miley Cyrus didn't think that, right? But copying the behavior in the customer world, that often happens in our automation. The way we were brought up, the environment we live in. We don't know, fish don't know they're wet. Right? They don't fish, fish not. Two fish swimming past each other. One says the other, how's the water? The other one says, what? They don't know they're in the water. But what are you in that you don't know? You're just breathing it, living it, swimming in it? You don't know. We don't know. I don't know. Do you look like the rest of the world? Mostly. Do you sound like the rest of the world? Mostly. What's the Apostle Paul saying here? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Okay. <laughs> we think we're different. But all that's changing is we're twisting harder on the throttle, going backwards at the same speed. Don't be, don't copy the behaviors of the customer of this world. Now, that's the problem. Don't let the world crush you into the mold. That's the problem. The, the answer is here, and the New Living is helpful. It says, let God transform you. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So let God transform you into a new person. Or the other one said, be transformed. The NLT is helpful because it says, let God transform you. That takes us, again, that removes the temptation to just twist harder on the throttle. That's not what we're saying. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How many people know that he's not talking about the way you think about maths? He's not talking about what, the way you think about what's your favorite color, uh, what's your favorite pet, what's your favorite dinner. He's talking about that subconscious attitude thinking. Allow God to change the direction of the tide in your life, which will, as you allow God to do that, he will transform you. Is that all right? The word transform is the Greek word metamorphosis, as you already know, of course. It's different to change. So God changes the way we think, and that's change, and that's what we, we don't understand change. But transform, how many know that's a different word than change? T-R-A-N-S-F-R-O-F-O-R-M. Transform, that's a different word than this word. C-H-A-N-G-E. To transform is trans is to move from one place to another, isn't it? To to translate is to take the idea in one language and to express the idea exactly in a completely different language. To transport is to take a thing from one environment and to move it into a new environment. To transmogrify is not a real word, but to transform. <laughs> <laughs> it's a science fiction word, eh? <laughs> to transform is where you change the form from one form to another form. Now, understand the word form when it's used in, like, in, a, in, a, uh, in the sense of a species. You take a caterpillar and it's transformed into a butterfly. Now, what's similar about a caterpillar and a butterfly? As far as I can tell, just the sticky out bits at the front of their heads. Apart from that, they're completely different. Caterpillars eat, apart from the hungry caterpillar, which ate everything, caterpillars eat leaves. Do butterflies eat leaves? No. They eat nectar. 
Caterpillars fly? No, they don't. Butterflies fly and caterpillars crawl along the ground. What about, I love that, yeah, I, love that I love it how uh, you get a caterpillar, really big caterpillar, big fat caterpillar, goes into a chrysalis, seems to get smaller, suddenly he runs up tight in the chrysalis, and then out comes a, a butterfly, big wings, yes, impressive wings, but the actual whole animal is a completely different size and a different shape. See, what's happening is that the, butterf- the caterpillar hasn't developed into a butterfly, it's gone through a process, which is again, same word, metamorphosis. If you open a chrysalis halfway through the process, you don't have a half caterpillar, half butterfly. Like it's got a, it's a caterpillar with a wing. <sighs> and it would always, if it's half something, it always seems to have bigger teeth, eh? Either buck teeth or sharp teeth, depending on whether you're going more werewolf or hillbilly. It's like... No, if you open, do you know when you open a chrysalis halfway through, do you know what's in there? Just juice. It's not anything. It can, it's, it's, once it goes in a chrysalis, the first thing it does is it stops being a caterpillar. And then in the middle, it's nothing. It's just juice. And then it comes out as a completely new thing. It was one of the early evolutionary theories was that the the, the, the chrysalis was evolving the caterpillar into a new species. But it's not. It's just the process that God set up of metamorphosis. And that's the picture that Paul used. Let God turn you into juice and reborn you as something different. We'll just just let it hang. We'll just... He was like, wow, that's a different way of expressing it. Yeah, it's a quite normal. It's a normal expression. Let God reborn you. Let God remake you. Let God rebirth you into something new. <laughs> anyway, I was trying to be sensitive to Joe and uh, Sharon, but anyway, don't talk about it. Um, see, that's the power of our heart thinking. Do you know what you can do to transform how you think in your heart, what's going on in your attitudes, what's happening in your subconscious thinking? Nearly nothing. You can do very little easily. You can do very little easily to change those things. Or you actually need outside input to shift those things that are going on. If nothing comes, if nothing comes to challenge your automatic processes, right? If nothing comes to challenge those automatic processes, they remain the same. Shift house, though. If you shift house, and then you keep arriving up at someone else's house, on the way home from work in the car, you're going to have, you'll eventually shift the automatic process of driving home. Some people longer than others. Right? Shift house though, and after, you, you know, after you've relieved yourself in the hallway cupboard a couple of times, you'll realize that that's not the bathroom anymore. Right? We gotta, you know, what God does is that He changes the way we think. He shifts us into a different environment that challenges our core beliefs. The deeply held truths and the deeply held lies that shape our life. God challenges those things. Uh, Luca was going to get me a whiteboard. Uh, Luca. He did go. There it is. Luca's about to come through with the whiteboard. Thank you. Very good. Grab your Bible. (coughs) Have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 35. And this is the Apostle Paul, 
And this is just right there. That's cool. Um, this is the Apostle Paul, and this is his job description. He's really explaining to the Corinthian church how he operates as a preacher, as a teacher of God's truth. How he, it's what he's explaining. He says, we are human, right? That's a good start, eh? We are human, but we don't, we don't wage war as humans do. We don't wage war as humans do. We are human, we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Verse 5. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. Now, there's two ways of understanding that last phrase. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. Now, that can be the, the apostle saying that in the, in the church as people are being discipled, that he captures the rebellious thoughts of people and then he teaches the people how to obey Christ. Or the other way to think about it in your own life is that part of your job as the apostle, as the leader of your own life, as your own pastor of you, is that you need to learn how to capture rebellious thoughts. And then you have to teach your thoughts how to obey Christ. You've got to capture your rebellious thoughts and teach your thoughts how to obey Christ. Now, there's a bit of a flow here, which is why I've got the diagram, right? Now, these are the, these are the, these are, this is the flow. You've got thoughts. Use the black one. <laughs> thoughts. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thoughts. The other one we had... There's another word in there, the arguments. And then there's a word used in the older translations that's not used in the New Living Translations, which is this one, stronghold. Now, that's a military term. A stronghold would be an easily defensible hill, like a parsite would be a stronghold in a military sense. Now, what happens is we all have thoughts, don't we? Yeah. More than others, but again, thoughts. We all have thoughts, and thoughts can come from anywhere. Thoughts can come from anywhere, and also, thoughts can almost come from nowhere, right? We all have, you know, we all, yeah, some people think they're crazy because they have crazy thoughts. It's just they haven't heard other people's thoughts, right? We all have crazy thoughts, just bizarre thoughts, right? Some people go and make movies about them, right? But the reality is we all have crazy thoughts, and they can come from things that we read. They can come from external stimuli. They can come from the devil suggesting things to us. They can come from our friends, wherever. They can come at us from anywhere, and it's at the point of a thought. Now, again, it's the thoughts we need to teach to obey Christ. This is where we can have some impact. Now, what happens is when you have a thought— to keep hold of that thought, you need to justify it. So you evaluate thoughts when they come. So-and-so doesn't like me. Now that's a thought that might come, come into your head. So-and-so doesn't like me, right? So-and-so doesn't like me. So you go into your next interaction with so-and-so, and you've already got this thought that so-and-so doesn't like you. And then you go into this conversation. Now, whether it's true or not, because you have the thought, you're looking for somewhere to land your thought on. You're looking for an action. You're looking for a facial expression. You're looking for the fact that she said hello to the person next to me before she said hello to me. 
I knew it. Right, I knew it. But what about this? What about you have the thought that nobody likes you? And then you go through your day at work, you go through your time at church, you go through all your interactions, thinking that you've got this thought that's come into your head. Maybe, maybe, maybe your mum said it to you. Maybe someone thought it about you, and the and the devil took that thought and delivered it to you. I don't know how that works. I'm just putting it out there, right? But anyway, you've had this thought: no one likes you. I'm not one of the likable ones. Now, hold on, that's a pretty normal thought. I'm not one of those popular people. Well, how many people think that? Ninety-eight percent of people. Well, who are all these popular people? Well, the other 2% of people are just psychopaths, right? All the very normal people have struggles with the thought, no one likes me. The people who think everyone loves me, we, we, no one actually likes them. Right? But we've got this thought, but now any time, because we've got this thought that we're holding, any time anyone looks at us weird just because they've got, they've got indigestion, so they look at us strangely. You know? And so suddenly, like, oh, there it is. They don't like me. They say hello to the person next to you first. Uh, they, they, they cut off the conversation shortly because they run around the corner to get away from you. And it's got nothing to do with you. They break wind around the corner. And then, you know, then they come back. And you're like, man. This, and, but what you do is you justify your thought. And now you've established an argument in your subconscious processing. Now, you are someone who it's very hard for people to connect with because you've got an argument in your mind where you already know people don't like you, right? And then you start to, here's the power word, you start to believe it, and that forms a stronghold in your mind. And you get to the point where you simply cannot accept or receive anybody's love because there's a stronghold in your mind where you've argued long enough and now you believe beyond your conscious processing, you believe that you are unlovable. Right? And all of us, in the example I've just given you, all of us live in that space. And we deal with it differently. We cover it up. We drive the outboard engine. I know God loves me. But the reality is we've been sucked in and this deeply held lie is controlling us and we don't even know it. Right? There's the flow. That's the flow. A thought justified becomes an argument. An argument believed becomes a stronghold. The classic one is this. Let's say you go to primary school and you've got the thought, you've got the thought that you're a bit of a dummy. And that might be because you culturally don't fit in with the majority. It might be because someone has said that to you. It might just be the thought that came into your mind. When you first started school, you didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, even lunchtime was confusing. And you've got the thought that you're a bit of a dummy. Again, more than 50% of people think that they're less than average intelligence. Right? Which is, again, is a ridiculous thing. Right? But the thoughts there, I'm a bit of a dummy, right? So every time you fail a test, four out of ten on the spelling words, every time you fail the test, what do you do? You justify your thought and an argument develops. Before you get to high school, there's a stronghold that says, I can't do maths. Reality, if you have a brain, you can do maths. You might not be a mathematician, but the reality is maths is maths. There are no rules about who's allowed to do it. But for some reason, we think we've built a stronghold. I can't do maths. How many people have had, you've got the strong, I can't do maths. How many I can't do maths people are there? Right? Now, the reality is that that's wrong. Now, it might not be your strongest suit, but maths is actually a non-judgmental sphere. 
Maths is not a room you walk into and go, oh no, get out. There's an outsider. There's a non-maths person. No, maths is just maths. But for some reason, we're not just maths. We're weird and we've built this stronghold around it, right? But imagine your parents have brought you up knowing that you've got purpose, you've got destiny, God's called you according to His purpose. Then what happens is when you fail a test, your thoughts are, I have destiny, God's put me here for a reason, God has a plan for my life. These are the thoughts that people put in your head and you're in the little crash there, banging the drums and someone's telling you you have a purpose in your life. And then you're in the crate, you're in the boom with 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 uh, with Nicole, and Nicole's teaching you through a Bible story about someone who has purpose and God has a plan. Have you noticed that? That's in all the Bible stories. God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. God's got a plan for your life. And every Sunday, someone tells you that, and you've got this thought. And then every time something good happens, oh, I've got a purpose. And then every time you. See, when you've got, when you know you have a purpose and you know God's called you to a plan and God's given you a destiny, the four out of ten in the spelling test doesn't tell you you're a failure. It tells you you've got to try harder because God's given me a plan and He's given me a purpose and I can move forward from my four out of ten. But if you have different thoughts, you build a completely different argument that says, I can never move forward from my four out of ten. See, it proves it. What about this? Let's imagine God, you, you had the thought, God loves you. God loves you. Maybe, maybe, maybe we could sing about it at church. Maybe you could think, I am brave. Do you know, if you keep thinking, oh, I'm brave. God's made me brave. God's given me boldness. God's given me strength. The righteous are as bold as a lion. They roar at their enemies, right? Then the next time you're brave, you'll be like, yeah, see? See? What about the next time, if you keep telling yourself God loves you, the next time something good happens in your world, you can say, oh, God is looking out for me. Now, it doesn't have to be spectacular, but the difference is whatever your thoughts are, are you bringing them to obey Jesus? Are your thoughts obedient to Christ? Are they working for Jesus? Are your thoughts working for God to build arguments in your soul that become strongholds in your life for good? Imagine if we lived with that stronghold. God loves me. Imagine if every imagine if that was a stronghold in your world. And so that every time anything happened that seemed to challenge that, you could just bounce it out of your consciousness. Every time a bad thing happened, just like Job, you could say, no, God's got a big plan. God loves me. As painful as this is, as difficult as this is, my faith is not shattered. My hope is not destroyed. I'm in pain and I'm angry and it's difficult, but still God loves me. See, this is when you start to be a revolutionary. This is when you start to be a revolutionary, when you start to replace the lies with the truth. At a deeply held level. You've got to sing about it. You've got to step into it. You've got to act about it. You've got to get into a small group and talk about it. You've got to, you've got to, get, you've got to change your routine and fast and pray and get into church on Sunday because you know where you're going to get to the automatic part of your brain unless you bring outside stimulus in that challenges the deeply held lies. Do you know one of the best things you can do for your Christian friend is sit across the table for them when they're, when they're speaking out and you can hear this talking. When you hear that talking and you just reflect back the truth. Oh, hold on. God loves you. 
You've got a purpose. You've got a destiny. So when you're having coffee with someone who's just failed a paper, and they're saying, man, there's no way I'm going to finish this. I could, I'm never going to finish. People say this. Don't say, they say things like this, don't they? I'm never going to finish this course. People say that sort of stuff, don't they? And they need a friend to say, well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? You're never going to finish. Really? Is that really true? You're never going to finish? Or, yes, you're going to have to repeat one paper. The truth is, the truth is, you have to repeat one paper. Now, how have you taken that and translated it into, I'm never going to finish this course? Some people drop out of a university first assignment. Why? Because it's, ref- it's just reminded that the stronghold got them. Because something happened that proved oh, the way that real things really are. That we, if we can build a different stronghold. What about uh, from a failed marriage? What are the strongholds you need to break down? I'm never going to make a relationship work. No, you didn't make that one. You didn't make that one work. That's correct. That didn't work. But that, the truth is that that didn't work. The truth isn't that you don't work. The truth is that God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a destiny. And the best thing you can do for your friends, uh, non-Christian or Christian, is to just be truth. Just reflect truth. Not in a judgmental way, please. Especially if you're talking to me. Don't, I don't really handle it very well. But just reflecting truth. And in so doing, you're acting like the Paul, like Paul, the apostle. You're helping them capture their thoughts. You're bringing their thoughts into the obedience of Christ. And you're helping them on this journey. Because this whole process can be as positive and powerful as it is negative and destructive. The tide can be going in or the tide can be going out. And we can decide that over time we can process that. God loves me unconditionally. Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. God has called me to make a positive difference in influencing the world for his kingdom. I am a part of the family of God. I am accepted in the beloved. I am made righteous through the sacrifice of Christ. These are all truth, aren't they? But they're actually not what we believe. They're what we believe here, but they're not what we believe here. And what's happening here is driving our life, and what's happening here is just frustrating us. And we need to work those down. Cool? How many people know when the building's falling down, it doesn't matter how much wallpaper you put over the cracks? Still going to fall down. When? When the pressure's on. It doesn't matter how much best behavior we do as a church. We could be Wellington. Come along to Wellington, best behavior church. We put in our best behavior every day. doesn't matter how much of the best behavior you put on. When you finally relax... When you finally relate to people, you'll become, you'll be who you really are. In the time, we've got to allow God. What did, the, what did Romans chapter 2 say? Let God transform you by changing the way you think. Jesus does a whole lot more than extending the Jewish moral code. His redemptive power is focused on our hearts. We preached last week about how he takes out our heart of stone and he gives us a soft and responsive heart. You could just also say he takes out that, uh, the subconscious part of our, our thinking. He changes our thinking from rock-solid stone to something that now is easier to change and malleable. He can work with us and change us, right? Cool. One more illustration before we go, right? Uh, I heard this recently, and I don't know all of the details because it's a computer programming story. Uh, <laughs> with somewhat outside of my skill set. But um, one of the things that's a problem in the world is that the Iranians have been built developing nuclear weapons. 
Now, if you're Iranian, I'm sure you'd be like, it's okay, you can trust us. Uh, But for a lot of people who are not Iranians, it's like, well, they've got nuclear weapons. We don't really like the idea of it. Partly because there was that big 20-year war between Iran and Iraq. and, And, you know, anyhow. As Western Europeans, we don't trust anyone else to have nuclear weapons. It's as simple as that. Uh, And so the Americans were developing a way to disrupt the Iranian nuclear program. And they've done a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, They've assassinated lots of Iranian nuclear scientists. So it's not, it's a really, it's a short-term sort of a job, uh, nuclear scientists in Iran. Uh, You can't drink uh, your coffee in a public place. There's a whole, you know, don't talk to strangers. Um, They've done, uh, the Israelis bombed the uh, Iraq, uh, nuclear Iranian nuclear program. They just bombed it. They just flew planes in and bombed it. Blew it all up. Um, but now what they've done, they've built it so far underground, it's actually, uh, you couldn't bomb it. Um, and uh, I don't know why you drop bombs on a nuclear thing. Anyway, but again, outside of my area. Uh, but someone told me that one of the things that one of the things that's been most disruptive to the Iranian nuclear program uh, is uh, USB flash drives. They're just, you know, the USB flash drive, the one you have, could well be one that has been infected with a CIA virus. So it's, the CIA haven't admitted to this, but, you know, computer programmers talk about it and it might be true. And even if it's not true, the illustration is helpful. The, the, the CIA developed a program that would disrupt the, the computer services at the Iranian n- nuclear program. And do you know what they did? They just put it on a bunch of USB drives. Because then you take your USB drive and put it in your computer and you email something to a friend and then they take it and it's on their USB drives and it goes from one to the other. And eventually, this program managed to find its way into the secure computer processes of the Iranian nuclear services and disrupted it. They didn't manage to bring it down, obviously, right? But they put them back years through this computer virus that was just passed from one USB drive to the other. And I like to think that Jesus works the same way. That he can begin to trans, he can put a code in us. He can start working in us in a powerful way where we can sing like songs like "I am brave." And even if we don't believe it exactly yet, it's still a working process in it. We carry that idea with us, and we start to live it out in such a way that the people in our world around us can start to think of themselves as brave as well. How many of you know that the person who's leading or stepping out, like like the, the guys are up on campus all week, they, they looked so brave, didn't they? Black t-shirts with a roaring bear. That's brave. They didn't feel very brave. But they made other people feel brave by them being brave, by them stepping out. And that's exactly how God works. Even though we aren't perfect, all of our, our thinking, all of what's going on inside of us is yet to be fully glorifying to God, right? I'm just saying that on your behalf, right? I know enough of you well enough to know there's a distance to travel between here and perfection right nod your head please people are like oh actually I'm not 100% sure he's correct I am 100% sure surer than anything that you've got a distance to travel between here and perfection but it doesn't mean you are not influential now it doesn't mean that you can't begin to talk about the realities of who God is that God loves people unconditionally even if that's not really the rock solid belief in your heart yet you can still share it and it can begin to be something that happens in another person's world in a powerful world that's how we become revolutionary this is how one of the ways we change the world is by allowing God into our hearts to transform us in a powerful way as a man thinketh sorry let's do the whole thing eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Neither desire those dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. You know, I love it. I love the New Living Translation. Let 
God transform you by changing how you think. When you close your eyes, let me pray for you. God, we just thank you so much for your word. your work of grace in us would be extended, would be developed, would be moved forward. Lord God, that as we go into our week, Lord God, as we go into, uh, as we continue to live the life you've called us to, Lord, that we'd be able to identify and displace our deeply held lies. We'd be able to identify and replace those things with the truths of your word, the truth of who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Just as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, all of what I've talked about today is not self-help, it's Jesus helping us. It's not even just Jesus helping us, it's the work of Jesus that transforms us. Jesus, The work of Jesus transforms us from being sinners who are distant from God to being righteous people who are close to God. From being people who are away from the love of the Father to be people who begin to experience the love of God in a real way, in a daily way. And it's as we acknowledge our sin, our shortcomings, as we acknowledge our distance from God, asking Jesus to become part of our world, that we can begin to change. We can turn around and we begin to follow a path that God has for us. We begin to experience the reality of His love. And he, as He begins to work in our world. And this morning, and, and most of our services, we love to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Perhaps you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus. Or, or, or maybe you have and, and, and it was in the past and for whatever reason, maybe you've walked away from God or you've walked away from that decision. Why don't you take this opportunity as well to again invite God to be part of your world. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin and your shortcomings. And choose in again to make Him the Lord of your life. If that's you, what we're going to do is in just a second we're going to pray. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but before we pray, I'd love to know who's praying this prayer with me. And So I'm just going to ask that you shoot your hand up. And, and once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down. And, and then uh, we'll pray together. But uh, before we pray, I'd love to know who's praying that prayer. So if that's you this morning and you're making this decision either for the first time or or as a recommitment, you're inviting God to be part of your world or part of your life again. If that's you, just shoot your hand up. Once I've seen your hand, you can pop it back down. Uh, and then when people have had a chance to respond, uh, we're going to pray. And you'll know if God's speaking to you, you'll know. And you just shoot your hand up. Once I see your hand, uh, we can pray. And then uh, we'll close our service after we've prayed. If that's anyone, just shoot your hand up. And uh, otherwise, once people have a chance to respond, we're going to move on. That'd be awesome. Very cool. Could we stand to our feet? Is that all right? Why don't you lift your hands and open your heart to God? I want to pray one more time. I'm just, I just think that, um, that maybe even as I was speaking and while I was preparing, I was thinking that the Holy Spirit was maybe speaking to me that as I was, as we we're talking about these thoughts, arguments, and strongholds, that He was going to drop into your heart a deeply held lie. 
Or maybe he was going to reveal to you an argument that you're beginning to build up. Or maybe he was going to draw your attention to a thought that you probably shouldn't be harboring, that you need to grab a hold of. And and if if that's true, if the Holy Spirit's uh, revealed something to you that that he wants to transform, why don't you just lift your hands and, and let's ask God to work in you. Let's ask God to work in us. Let's ask God to transform our, help us to grab a hold of those thoughts, help us to break down those arguments and allow Him to build in us strongholds of truth. Amen? Lord, let me pray when you lift your hands. Holy Spirit, we just release you to work right now. Lord God, I pray right across this room, even now, there'd be a sense of your releasing power, Lord God, that you'd be releasing us from things that are holding us. Lord God, you'd be releasing us from those arguments that we're beginning to build up. And Lord, even now as we pray, Lord God, even now as I pray, I just declare across us, across our congregation, uh, through us as a church, that we'd grow stronger and stronger in our ability to capture our thoughts and our ability to bring our thoughts to your obedience to you, Lord God, that we'd become people who reflect your truth to each other, that we become people, Lord God, who can uh, be sensitive to you, Holy Spirit, speaking to us, uh, and that we'd be quick to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Could we give God a shout of praise? It's awesome. And I just, I just want to say this again. I, I know Ali said, has already said we're, 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 we're sort of at week two of the revolutionaries. I know, how many, wave your hand if you've already done the first great video. Uh, I looked at the second video last night and the, I leave my channels on for the whole video. So it's much more comfortable. Uh, and uh, the, um, I, my group as well is starting this week. So if, if you think like, oh, maybe I should have gone to, maybe you're a bit like me and you like to do things like last and be sort of cool. Uh, then join Alice's group this week or join my group. We're starting this week. Me and Richard are kicking off. This week's going to be it's going to be powerful and it's going to be awesome. Uh, but I know there's other groups that can start. Or you can just, if there's no other group, you just start. You know, just get a friend, get another friend and, and uh, watch the video and talk about it. Um, and uh, let's let's believe that as we, work, as we talk together that we actually can really help each other grow in God. Is that right? Very, very cool. Well, we've got morning tea to enjoy. And uh, I just want to say one more time, don't forget tonight, at 6 p.m., but I think get there earlier because there's like food and stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, from 5:30. I read the run sheet. 5:30. If you get there between 5:30 and 6, there'll be uh, stuff to do and hang out. It'll be awesome. Very cool. Give someone a hug. Find someone and give them a hug. Oh.